0: Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll look at the end of that chapter and the beginning of chapter 4. The text is in the bulletin there. It's uh, 316 through 4.3. So Ecclesiastes, um, uh, it's, it's an exploration of life under the sun. That's a phrase that you see repeated uh, throughout the book. It's an exploration of life uh, lived in this world, life largely from the perspective, it's like without regard to God. Really, that's uh, without reference to the one true God. Uh, this is a world, this world under the sun, where corruption and injustice and oppression are not just all too, all too familiar problems. They're problems we cannot fix under the sun. We can't fix those problems. Um, sorry to burst your bubble if you thought we could fix those problems. Injustice and oppression, these are recurring themes uh, in this book, <clears throat> and here Ecclesiastes, is, he's expressing great frustration with this reality. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we could say it's largely an expression of frustration. Uh, it's an asking of deep and painful questions to which there seem to be no answers in this world under the sun. What if there were no solution to the ongoing problem of injustice and oppression? I mean, that's an honest question that a lot of people ask, and a lot of people struggle to answer. For many people, uh, this question is not just an academic or a philosophical one. We don't just think about or see uh, injustice that might happen over there, right, in some other country. We suffer injustices. We suffer oppression. And those who suffer often find no compassion or comfort in a world like this where can we find comfort when we cannot change or escape what we suffer? So we're not just asking about where we can find relief from and escape from the suffering of injustice or oppression. Where can we find comfort when there is no relief, when there's no hope for relief? Let's consider uh, not just the questions that Ecclesiastes raises here, but, uh, but the answers that the gospel of Jesus Christ provides. Let's talk about that this morning. So let's pray and we'll read the scripture. Father, your scriptures are honest about what we face in this life, uh, more honest than we often can be. We pray that you would help us to wrestle honestly with your scriptures uh, and to be changed by them. We pray that you would show us Jesus and help our faith by your spirit for our life with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts for all his vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and who has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I mentioned uh, sorry, I mentioned in the new, uh, newsletter, the email newsletter this week, that as a young adult, I was antagonistic to Christianity. It's a story uh, probably a lot of you are familiar with. Uh, I used to look for opportunities to argue with my Christian friends. Uh, or maybe just opportunities to make fun of them for holding what were obviously ridiculous beliefs, right? Uh, One of my main arguments, though, uh, was it it was against the reality of God. It was the problem of evil. It was the problem of injustice. Uh, I got really worked up about the idea of a God who allows evil to continue. So I concluded, as any logical person would, either God was evil or God couldn't do anything about evil. Or most likely, God just didn't exist. I thought that was pretty logical. That's a pretty reasonable argument. Uh, It's intellectual, but it's also one that was easy easy to get really passionate about, even angry about. And uh, maybe you've had friends that have offered up arguments like that. It's a fairly common argument. A lot of people are passionate about it, which goes to show that a lot of people have a strong sense of the evil and injustice that exists in this world. It seems to be a basic assumption for people that there are such things as right and wrong. There are such things as good and evil. There are such things as justice and injustice. <clears throat> and this world is only too full of wickedness and oppression. Right? It's really frustrating to live in a world like this. And maybe you're surprised to hear it, but the Bible affirms that frustration. It affirms the frustration that it's, it's, it's very frustrating to live in a world like this where Wickedness and oppression are rampant. Um, The Bible says that there are such things, obviously, as good and evil, and uh, and righteousness and wickedness, and injustice and oppression, and they do run rampant in this world, and even though we all share some kind of instincts about this, you would think that would mean maybe that, that we have some kind of common reason to hope that we could all fix this problem. We can't fix that problem. We can't rid the world of injustice and oppression. In fact, it's precisely in our, in the places where we attempt to do so most, our best attempts to bring justice in this world. It's precisely in those places, in our courts, in our governments, even our best human systems and structures that are intended to restore and establish and preserve justice. These are the places that are infected with a corruption that we cannot root out. Uh, Verse 16. In the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So in the very places where we would hope you should be able to find justice, there's wickedness. It's really bad. People are wicked, even when they're supposedly exercising justice. Right? So, so you hear stories about this all the time. The innocent are declared guilty, and they're wrongly imprisoned. The the guilty are declared innocent, and they're released, free to harm other people again. The poor are disadvantaged because they can't afford good legal help, representation. The simple don't know how to work the system as well as the cunning do. Those in positions of weakness, they're silenced by the powerful. Laws are written that reward those who do evil, and... Punish those who do good. And real people suffer official persecution by their own governments. This is what happens under the sun in earthly courts and in earthly governments. The very places that are meant to defend and promote justice. Uh, I always quote Joe Pope. Talking the other day, he mentioned this. He says, We don't have a justice system, we have a legal system. We don't have a system where you, you should expect to find justice. We have a legal system. Sinful people are working the system. Sinful people are writing the laws. And broken systems like these, they don't provide justice. And they don't have the resources to fix what is broken about themselves. So most people in the world seem to operate under the assumption that if we just get the right laws, if we get the right people, they're pulling the levers of government or in the courts, then we can fix the problems of injustice and oppression. People hope that. People get into politics for that. Or into law. If we can just get the power into the right hands, then we can establish true justice in the world. But God reveals that empowerment is not the answer for those who suffer injustice and oppression. Empowerment is not the answer for those who suffer injustice and oppression. It says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, on the side of their oppressors was power. Well, yeah, we know. That's why we say, well, you just take the power away from the oppressors and you give it to those who have been oppressed. Problem solved, right? But the redistribution of power has never worked to bring about justice, and it never will. Because power can't fix what's wrong with power. A broken humanity can't fix itself. What do broken, sinful human beings do when they get power? They become corrupt, and they become oppressive, just like those who came before them. So, <clears throat> Derek Kidner is a commentator, and he says this. It's a, a quote that's printed in the bulletin there. He says, there's no coincidence in the fact that power is on the side of the oppressor, since it is power that most quickly breeds the habit of oppression, Paradoxically, it limits the possibility of reform itself because the more control the reformer wields, the more it tends to tyranny. Uh, See, for example, every single revolution or regime change in the history of the world. When you give earthly power to the oppressed, they just turn right around and become oppressors like those who came before them and then a new group will find itself powerless and oppressed by them eventually. Sure, it's, uh, it's great for the oppressed to find relief from their own sufferings, but does their empowerment really bring justice? Is that justice? Or does it ultimately just shuffle around the injustices a bit? I think that's what uh, Ecclesiastes is lamenting here. Martin Luther <clears throat> said Ecclesiastes is not complaining because there's wickedness in the place of justice, but because the wickedness in the place of justice cannot be corrected. Under the sun, there is no solution to the ongoing problem of injustice and oppression in this world. The only one who can truly correct this problem is God. Ecclesiastes knows that. He says in verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So God is the only just judge. And that means, um, means a lot of things. One of the things that it means is this. If I am righteous or wicked, I don't actually know. I'm not the judge. If I'm the oppressor or the oppressed, I don't know. I might have my own very strong feelings about what is right and what is wrong and what is fair. But as a finite, sinful human being, I just don't have the capacity to judge myself. Or other people. I'm not the judge. God alone is the perfect judge of all, whose judgment will truly bring justice for all, and will fix what's broken in the in the world where the halls of power and the, the courts of justice are infected with wickedness and oppression. God will fix it. So the big frustrating question I think that we find here in Ecclesiastes is why are we still suffering it? We know what God's like, we know that He's the judge. We know his promises. Why are we still suffering injustice in this world? Where is the judge? Why hasn't he already made things right? Why does a righteous God allow evil to continue? Verse 18, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, the children of Adam, literally, That God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are the beasts. So God allows things to continue as they are in this world, under the sun, in order to test us. He's not testing us, the way we usually think about testing, so, so that he might discover which ones of us are good, and which ones of us are bad, Right? what kind of people we really are. He's testing us so that we might discover what kind of people we really are. He's testing us so that we might discover what kind of people we are. This might not be quite the, philo- uh, you know, the philosophical answer to the problem of evil that everybody wants to hear that really satisfy us all, uh, but it's a big part of the Bible's answer that there, there are consequences for our sin and rebellion against God. And God lets us face those consequences for our own good so that we can come to some kind of awareness of the gravity of our sin and our rebellion against him. So that we can come to that awareness. So God God created the world good and righteousness and peace reigned until we ruined it. We rejected him and his ways. We're the ones who brought evil and injustice and oppression into this world. Our people. People just like us. It's easy for us to direct our frustration toward God. who should be doing something about all this injustice. When really this is the world that we've chosen. Apart from him. The world shows us what kind of people we've become in our sin. We're facing the consequences for that as part of God's curse. This is what we're being reminded of here in verse uh, 19 and 20 when Ecclesiastes compares us to the beasts. He says, we all die like beasts. All are from the dust and to all dust return. Uh, to, d- to dust all return. Right? This, this language comes from the garden when God cursed Adam. Uh, Genesis 3 verse 19 He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so God is saying, look, you've brought this doom upon yourselves. Because you've chosen life apart from me, which is death. You have chosen death. And your life in this world will be hard until you die. And this is, this is what's really hard to believe about this. Is that God didn't curse us because God is evil. God cursed us because we are evil. And he wants us to come to know this about ourselves. God cursed us because he's good. And he wants what is good for us. So when God allows our evil and our injustice to continue in this world... He's exposing us to the consequences of our sin, ultimately not just to rub our noses in it, right, Uh, but to help us to live in reality and to stop living in denial, to confess our sin and to put our hope in him and in his judgment and in his justice. We're in a worldwide mess of cosmic proportions. It's a mess of our own making that we can't extract ourselves from. So what comfort is there for people like us who are suffering in a world like this? Suffering injustice and oppression. Jesus. Jesus is the hope for people like us. When God's people had been uh, awaiting their Messiah, they wanted deliverance from their Roman oppression. They were suffering Roman oppression. And they wanted relief. They wanted to get out from under Roman rule. They wanted empowerment. That's what they wanted. But instead they got Jesus. Jesus. They got a new man who came with a new message about a new kind of a kingdom. He says in his uh, Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So earthly kingdoms under the sun are for those who deal in earthly power. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. The kingdom that comes from beyond the sun is for the poor in spirit, it's for those who mourn, it's for those who suffer injustice and oppression. The kingdom of heaven is for you if you suffer injustice and oppression. You shall be comforted, he says. And then, after proclaiming this kind of good news, instead of going to overthrow the powers that be, and instead of taking their earthly power and fixing the world with it, Jesus let the powers that be crucify him. Jesus let the authorities capture him. He let them take him to his own trial, a mock trial, and there in the place of justice, there was wickedness. The trial was rigged. The judges wanted to condemn him, so they were looking for false accusations to be brought against him so that they could condemn Jesus. And then Jesus was unjustly beaten as uh, a power play between these corrupt politicians. Jesus was innocent of all the charges that were brought against him, but he was convicted anyway. He was wrongly sentenced to death. But instead of spending time on death row, where he might be, you know, given the chance, allowed maybe to appeal his sentencing, he was immediately taken out and he was executed. And the real villains went home that day, lounged on their sofas and sipped their wine, and laughed because they'd once again played the system and once again got in their way and they maintained their power. Jesus never saw justice in his lifetime. He never saw justice in his lifetime. Jesus died oppressed by those who had the power But God's holy judgment came when he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus received justice from beyond the sun in his resurrection. And that is where the oppressed find comfort in the promise of resurrection. This is what distresses Ecclesiastes about this ongoing, uninterrupted, universal corruption of justice in in this world under the sun. When you look around, all you see is, uh, it's like that bumper sticker, life sucks, then you die. That's what you see. Just like the mindless beasts, we die. Any quantitative difference between humans and beasts really amounts to nothing if we're all going into the ground at the end. So verse 21, this is the desperate question. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? Who knows if our souls go to God after death or not? Who knows if there's life for us after death, after this life filled with injustice and oppression and then just ending in death? Who knows? Who knows? That's the desperate question because if we knew about that, maybe we'd find some comfort in the midst of oppressions that just end in death. Maybe if we knew about this, whether the man's soul goes upward, then uh, we'd actually be able to put hope in God's justice, even if we never truly taste or see God's justice in this life. But who knows? Jesus knows. Jesus never saw justice in this earthly life. But Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus was vindicated by God, and Jesus received the perfect justice of God. Jesus was not just left in the dust to disintegrate and return to the dust. Jesus was raised to a heavenly life, and the good news proclaims that he will raise all who belong to him from the dust to join him. So it's the, uh, the New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians 15 that uh, Joe Hamilton read. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 15 is, is full of similar themes that you find raised in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it says, if the dead are not raised, if this life is all there is, this life under the sun, this world, it's just life sucks and then you die. And the dead are not raised and the spirit of, of man does not go upward to God, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that sounds like a quote from Ecclesiastes, actually it's from Isaiah. But it sounds like a quote from Ecclesiastes. So the first man, it goes on, it says, the first man was from the earth, Adam. Adam means earth. Adam means he was taken out of the earth and given the name of dirt, basically. He's he's the the earth man. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right, so Jesus is the new man. He's the new Adam, second Adam. He's the new pattern for our humanity. And that means this new humanity, it's not a humanity that overthrows the oppressors and takes their power. That's the old humanity. That's how that works. This is a new humanity that's entrusted to God even if we suffer earthly injustices. Eagerly awaiting God's perfect justice in the, res- in the resurrection with the assurance that this is coming, this resurrection and this judge- uh, judgment, this justice is coming from God. We're, we're uh, given the assurance of it because of Jesus. The only hope for perfect justice, the only comfort for the oppressed is to be found in Jesus, the new man, the heavenly man, to bear his image, to be raised with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus himself is the one who will return to fully establish God's justice on earth at the resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth. It says in Acts chapter 17 that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. So if, if, justice and, uh, if injustice and oppression are something that bother you about this world, something you've suffered, the things you've personally experienced and suffered, then you need the promise of God's holy judgment and the promise of Christ's resurrection so that you we'll see that holy judgment. Um, I remember soon after becoming a Christian in college, a friend asked me this question. He said, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you that you would be in heaven with God? I think that's a great question. Everybody should think about that question for a while. Think about how a Christian should answer that question. Right? Because I remember, uh, I reflected on it a bit. The question, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you that you'd be in heaven with God? Uh, thought about, well, how good do I feel about myself? How much have I changed my life since becoming a Christian? Uh, How do I feel today, you know, about my relationship with God? Uh, And I said, with some humility, I think something like probably 40% sure, 40% sure that I'd be in heaven with God. Of course, uh, that just reveals that I thought my salvation depended on me, (laughs) how I was doing in my relationship with God, how good I was, how faithful I was. The right answer, the Christian answer, since my salvation depends entirely on Jesus, and since Jesus has already died for my sins, 100%, I'm 100% sure that if I die tonight, I'm going to be in heaven with God, right? That's the kind of assurance that Jesus gives us. He gave the undeserving thief that kind of assurance, the thief on the cross, it's a wonderful truth about the grace of God toward us, so we can ask a similar question, I think, We're going to ask a similar question with regard to our passage this morning. If you were to die an unjust death, suffering at the hands of corrupt officials and persecutors and oppressors, how sure are you that you would see justice after that? You can be 100% sure, because Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus lives in heaven with God, and Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, the righteous and the wicked, all of us, together, with God's perfect justice. You may never see justice in this life, just like Jesus didn't, but the death and resurrection of Jesus are the guarantee that God will bring about his perfect justice. Who can bring us to see what will be after us, like Ecclesiastes asks? Who can bring us to see what will be after us? Only Jesus. Who can help you with deep doubts about God's character and why he would allow such things like evil and injustice to continue in the world? When, when you struggle with things like that, who can help you? Only Jesus. Who can comfort those who experience nothing but oppression in this life? Who can wipe away each and every tear? Who can promise eternal life and righteousness restored in a new kingdom, a new heavens, and a new earth? Only the new man only the risen Lord Jesus. He's our only answer to our frustrations, our doubts, our fears, our most desperate questions about this life and the next, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, the good news about your son gives us resources to face a broken world like this uh, with hope and with courage and with love. We can't fix the problems of injustice, but the resurrection of Jesus assures us that you will bring your perfect justice. We pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the pattern for our new life with you. We pray that you'd help us to find comfort knowing that he is our companion through this life and our guide into the next life. We pray that you would help us to find comfort knowing that Jesus is our judge. Your judgment is better than ours, and this is good news. Please, Lord Jesus, come again soon to judge this world and to make all things right. We pray in your name. Amen.